Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode. Welcome, welcome. Today's topic is mental health and we have here with us the man himself, Todd Morgan, the CEO of Outside the Locker Room, an organization that aims to improve individual and collective well-being, connecting lives and communities through conversation. As soon as Laura met you, she was so excited and she was like, Sohan, we have to talk to this person. And so we're quite excited to have you on here today. Before we get started, Todd, we would really like to know your story. Let's go back to the very start. Where were you born? And what were your favorite memories from childhood? Where was I born? That is a fantastic question. Where was I born? I know. Uh, so I was thinking I was born in Preston, um, so in the northern suburbs of Victoria. I don't think I was there for very long. And then mum and dad moved to Churnside Park, which is like the last suburb on the outer rim of Melbourne before you hit sort of the Yarra Valley with all the wineries. So out my back door, there was basically cows and all my mates, we all sort of lived out that way, which was, which was cool. Um, the memories from growing up, that's a really good one. I hated people singing happy birthday to me. So that's probably not a happy memory, but it's just an interesting one. Like, what do you do when someone sings happy birthday? And being four years old, I think I cried. And then after that, I just, I just hated it. So, um, yeah, so that's not a happy memory, but happy memories for me is probably anything to do with sport. Um, I was a sport player all the way through, um, probably means why I became CEO of a sport mental health charity. Uh, it probably was the progression that I was always looking for. Um, but yeah, all of the happy memories are what round footy or tennis or basketball or anytime having sport, backyard cricket on Christmas day, you know, there's some pretty good happy memories as well. So yeah, that's where I'm so from. So they are all sort of like linked things. Um, to playing sports and did this interest come from like I don't know any family members or yeah so I basically come out of uh, so I was basically born came out of my mum's womb and dad said your name's Todd you're back for Collingwood and put a footy in my hand so it was basically I was going to be a footballer from the day I was born uh, the bad part for me though was my mum's like five foot three so I'm five foot five and I'm really really small so there's only so much you can do when you're five foot five and everyone out there is like oh you know you could have still made AFL and it's like well I was at the time when midfielders were like six foot two so um, there's a lot better footballers than me who were around my height that didn't make it uh, but look footy was great sport was always going to be something and um, you know I went to high school where football was a subject as well uh, so math, English, and football, I can probably guarantee which one I was good at. Uh, wasn't good at English, just okay at math, and football was probably the one everyone was more interested in. So it was a cool high school. Mm-hmm. What did you enjoy the most about uh, playing footy? Um, it's probably the community side of everything. Um, it's the social aspect in the community of a sporting club. Um, and sporting clubs really, if you go anywhere in the country, and the way I explain it is if you take a bird's eye view over any suburb in Australia, you'll find some sort of sporting field court, or if there's not one there, it's been made with wickets drawn on a, a rubbish bin, or um, it's, you know, a field made in someone's backyard. There's always some sort of sporting field. And those regional and rural communities, they're actually really brought together by that sporting community as well. So if we look at the floods that are happening at the moment in rural Victoria, um, you know, they're really all coming together around that sporting club or sporting clubs are opening up their club rooms to allow people to come there and sleep and you know, use showers and all that sort of stuff. So a sporting club really has been, for me, it's always been there in my life and it's always big sense of community, but it's also where you make a lot of your friends. It's friends become family. You end up, you know, becoming 
like surrogate uncles and aunties and stuff to your mates, little kids that are born or, you know, their parents become your parents because you've known them for so long. So supporting clubs are really, really important, especially in Australia. Like we shut down for COVID and what did we try and keep alive? We tried to keep sport alive. We still played AFL. We still played rugby. We still played basketball. To me, it was interesting that we couldn't even go to work, but they were still trying to get sport on the TV with no spectators so that was quite interesting but that was what the Australian public wanted and that's what they got 100 mm-hmm. percent. even people like our family that comes over from overseas and they're always just like literally shocked at how much sport is a part of the culture like you'll find people doing nine to five but they'll work out their whole work structure around their working out time or the sport or whatever it's yeah. so different yeah and gyms uh, obviously I'm a XPT and gyms are massive um you know so I went from high school and didn't know what I wanted to do went to be a PT and then obviously fell into working for outside the locker room in sporting clubs but yeah almost everyone's got a gym membership or have been to a gym or they go for runs or they go for swims or they do their jump in the ice cold water in Melbourne at seven o'clock in the morning when it's eight degrees not it's not for me but all power to you but yeah their lives are built around sport or built around working out which is seems to be the australian way uh was it just the family interest in footy that kind of led you to go that, down that route or yeah so i was pretty good at tennis i just couldn't keep my anger in check so i broke more rackets and i think i ever won matches that was that was pretty fun and my dad got to a point one day he's like you're not playing tennis anymore and i was like that's that's fine basketball was too small uh so i was too small to play footy and definitely too small to play basketball um and then yeah just had no real interest in cricket no i, I just always loved footy footy was the big one because it wasn't just your own team that you're involved with. It was a whole club. So if you're a junior club, that could have been 10 or 12 teams um, that were a part of your community. And then moving into the senior club, it was, you know, seniors, reserves, under 18s, and now with women's and netball all coming together. It's, you know, footy was always just seemed to be the one I was always drawn to uh, and the one I loved the most. And that's why I stayed in mm-hmm. it, which, is, which has been fun. Hmm. You were sharing that you were also an XPT. Yeah, so I actually left high school and went to uni for two weeks um, and I couldn't find any of my classes. The uni was too big. So I was the first person in my family to go to uni. So I couldn't find any of my classes. And I worked out that I shouldn't be at uni because I walked into someone's room, like where they, it was the housing where people lived. And I was like, hey, is this Health Sciences 101 or whatever it was called? And he was like, no, nah, mate, I'm playing FIFA. And I was like, okay, this is it. Uni's not for me. So I left um, and got a job in the gym doing sales while I did my PT course, became a PT. Um, did that for about a year and a half. Then I became a lecturer at 20 years old. So I worked for the Australian Institute of Fitness for a couple of years. Uh, then left that and went to the Australian Fitness Academy and, and PT'd on the side. So my... Main demographic for PT was sporting players, but mainly rehab. So anyone that was coming back from an injury, that was sort of where my expertise lie. Uh, I was good at it, but I didn't love it. Um, And so still sort of stayed in that lecturing role, the Australian Fitness Academy for a long, long time uh, and PT'd for a long time too before moving into mental health. What was that you didn't like about being, about doing that? Um... (laughs) I loved the training. I loved the group aspect. Uh, I didn't love getting up at 3.30 in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning to go and train people. That was rough. Um, But I think for me, it was just the fitness industry. I just didn't fit that mold. It was very um, self-centered is probably the wrong word, but you had to really self-promote. And I, as much as people think I like the limelight by being a, a speaker and going out there and telling my story, it's not something that I like 
that much. Um, so sort of having to really promote yourself and, you know, I'm really good at this and I'm really good at that wasn't sort of my big aspect. So it was really sort of word of mouth is what I used to use. Um, but yeah, it just didn't, it didn't feel like home. I think for me, I was always looking for a career that felt like home and PT never really felt like home, even though I was, I was all right at it. Probably why I hate phone calls. Um, making cold calls to people is really, really difficult. It's only, you know, I was 19 when I did that. I'm 31 now and I'm only just getting over that fear um, of making those cold calls. It's been a difficult process. Uh, but yeah, sales is really difficult in, in the role that I'm in at the moment, non-for-profit, uh, you have to ask people for donations and those sorts of things. And I'm be really honest, I'm struggling with it. I'm really, really am. So working with, you know, mentors and my counselors and, you know, uh, you know, the board at outside the locker room and different people that I know to try and get me through that. Um, knowing that I'm probably sort of got the skills for it, being able to talk to anyone, but it's that final pitch of, Hey, do you want to donate and donate this much that, I'm sort of really lacking. And I think from just my background of not enjoying sales for two years, um, yeah, that was probably where it all come from. I was going to mention how in your presentation um, at Broads Australia, you mentioned that you were an introvert. And I found that so difficult to believe because you were so good at presenting that I was like, straight away, he, he enjoys talking to people. But as you said, it like, um, is this like a new skill that, you, that you're working on? Uh, no, so I've always had the skill of being able to talk in front of a group. I probably learned that from my old man. So my dad was really, really good at that. Um, being an introvert is probably something that I only learned two years ago. Uh, so just going through, I have a counselor. I don't have depression or anxiety. I don't have any sort of challenges I'm going through at the moment, but I touch base with her every month to a couple of months, depending on what I'm going through. And she actually turned around to me one day and she said, I think you're more of an introvert extrovert where you can extrovert yourself as much as you want, but it really drains your batteries and you're actually more of an introvert. When I went back and had a look at it, it's probably true. I enjoy sort of living by myself or, you know, living with only people that are really close to me and um, spending more time at home or, or you know, even going to the gym and training by myself rather than with my mates. And when I started looking at all of those sorts of things, I'm like, oh, that sort of makes sense, but have the skills to be able to switch into extrovert when I need to. Um, and yeah, have probably learned that more from a nurture point of view than a nature point of view. Mm, mm. Very interesting and good to know that you clarify what being an introvert and extrovert. And it's so good that like someone pointed that out to you because like yeah. it's something like the way you've phrased it is so good. I'm like, oh my God, I can relate. <laughs> and this answers like so much of um, how I approach things. And I'm always like, it's a bit draining after a while. Yeah. Nat's brilliant. So my counselor, Nat, is uh, the way I explain her is like she's the biggest bogan counselor ever. Yeah. Uh, she's the most beautiful soul. And the way she phrases things, she goes, let's see if this fits. And that's her biggest phrase. And then she'll go, what do you, so let's see if this fits. And then she'll put something to you. And I'll be like, nah, that does not work at all. And she's like, all right, screw it. We'll throw that in the bin. But then she'll say something like, damn, that's spot on. Um, but yeah, when she pointed it out to me, I was pretty taken aback. It's like, I'm not an introvert. I got really defensive about it. Uh, and then was like, actually, no, I think you're right. Like, I, I really think that you are on the money here in that I've just got an ability to switch between the two, but I would rather sort of sit in the introvert side of things yeah. more in most of my life than the extrovert side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Incredible. How did you meet her? First day outside the locker room, she was running a suicide self-harm and drug sort of challenges education session for most of the people that were involved with OTLR at the time. Um, 
and as she was sort of talking, I was just completely fascinated by everything that she was sort of saying around suicide and how it works. And um, one of the big things that she said was, you know, being really upfront with someone and going, hey, you know, are you thinking about suicide? Uh, and then actually asking them, you know, she's obviously got the training, but she was telling a story about how she asked a guy if he was going to suicide. And he said, yes, he knew the date, he knew the method. Um, and she started going around, you know, how, you know, how's that going to look for your friends and your family? And he didn't really care. Um, and then she's like, well, how are you going to leave your house? And he, as they were going around the house, he, she got to the balcony and she's like, so what's on your balcony? He's like plants. And so she goes, well, who's going to look after your plants? And he went, well, I don't know. He's like, I love those plants. And she's like, well, who's going to water them? Who are you going to tell to actually water your plants when you're gone? And that was the question that actually stopped him from taking his own life. And he's still alive today. So for me, I was just sitting there fascinated by this woman and what she was doing. Um, and then it got to a point for myself where I, was, I think it was about four or five months later where I was like, okay, there's some things that I need to probably work through. And she actually, I moved house probably two weeks before I started thinking this and she, um, her office was a hundred meters away across the road. I didn't even know until I Googled it. So I was like, oh, it must've been fate. So I sent her through it. That's a sign. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have any other therapists before her? I had, yeah, I had, and sort of was just sort of a once-off thing, seeing how it was going to work, those sorts of stuff. And I was probably still too immature emotionally at that point in time. Um, but then, yeah, again, as I sort of said before, I, I classified Nat as like a Bogan counselor. She's a, absolutely gorgeous she's stunning on the outside and then she opens her mouth and she's just full australian um and i think that's sort of what i was looking for and and just a really laid-back approach so there's not like your couch and there's no formal documents to fill out it was just go in started having a chat and i think half the time i was walking in asking her how her day was because that's how i wanted to start it um and it's funny now i'm studying counseling that's actually a skill that she was using was just letting me ask her and her talking about her day to get me comfortable enough with her and, and trust who she was as a human being. So she's very smart. Wow. Would she, yeah. would she have been the catalyst for you to get into the mental health space or was that something mm. you'd already been looking at before? No. So I sort of got into volunteering in mental health around about 21, 22. So I sort of got asked to jump into it and just volunteer. And I was like, yep, yeah, well, why not? Um, um, I, as I sort of said in my story up with Broads Australia was around, um, you know, my sister's sort of the hero of our family, works with intellectual disability people between 16 and 60, teaches them life skills. And you ask her why, why would you do that? And she says, well, why not? Why not do it? I like doing it. So I'm just going to do it. So that's sort of how I jumped in. Unfortunately for me, lost a, lost a few mates to suicide and, and to drug overdoses and car accidents and stuff like that. Um, which was, which was quite difficult, uh, but it sort of, I guess, a little bit fueled the fire to continue to volunteer and was volunteering for one organization. And in around about 2017, um, unfortunately lost one of my really close mates to suicide. And his mum said, you're going to stop being a PT and go and work for outside the locker room. Um, so there was really no, there was no choice. Uh, there was a choice, but, you know, it was a really big push from her and, and her big backing was that, um, you know, if my mate had still been playing footy, it would have been a different story. You know, he would have had the community around him. He would have um, had people to reach out to instead of, you know, wishing to get back there, he would have been a part of that community. And for 
the sad part is that he passed away on November 7th and he was two weeks away from going back to preseason and, and playing footy again after two years of being away. So the big thing for his mum when talking to me, and I remember the cafe that we were in, was that you need to tell his story that don't just leave sporting clubs, whether it's football, basketball, tennis, table tennis, squash, it doesn't matter what it is, be involved in some sort of community because it could be the make or break between um, you know, when you get to your lowest point reaching out or just being by yourself and only having one or two mates that you can reach out to in a sporting community, you could have a hundred. Um, so that was a really big push to sort of get really into mental health. I was sort of volunteering at the time. Um, but when she said, you know, you need to get out of PT and really go and chase this and, and tell his story and having her permission to go and do it um, has really fueled that fire and sort of jumped in both hands and, took a really big risk and sort of gave away the PT when COVID hit. And it's been a, a difficult journey to learn it all, um, but definitely know that I'm probably in the right industry for me now. Um, but in saying all that, I would give it all back tomorrow and I'd go do a completely different job and something more meaning uh, less if I could have all my mates back. So if I could turn back time and have all my mates back, I'd go to P back to PT or I would you know, just go to a different job. Um, I, you know, I really don't want to be in this job, but unfortunately someone has to do it. Well, we're glad that you're taking up that banner. Uh, just cause you mentioned that, you know, there's, um, if your mates had been in involved in sporting clubs. So is that something that you noticed being a part of that culture? Cause like we often hear people in sports also suffer, like, you know, a lot of, uh, mental health pr uh, battles. Is it because they don't feel connected to the club or like they've lost touch with the mates in there or why would, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. It's probably, it doesn't just stem from sporting clubs. Um, so we hear a lot about, you know, athletes are going through difficult times that have mental health challenges. And I think that's more because they're in the media. Um, but if you look at the new stats that have come out, so before COVID, it was one in five people would go through a mental health challenge in their lifetime um, where that actually needed proper support. After COVID with the ABS stats that have come out, we're now two in five. So if you've got a sporting club of 100 people, that's 40 people in that club that need support at some point for their mental health. Now, if you then go outside of that sporting club and you just go to people that aren't involved in anything in the community, whether that's Rotary or Lions or um, some sort of culture or religion or something, that's still two people out of five in the community that are still going to go through a mental health challenge. Um, so it's really, we've sort of come out into, we hear more about it at sporting clubs because sporting clubs talk, um, but the support that you can get from a sporting club and the connection to your community is a, is a lot bigger, um, rather than someone who's potentially just sitting at home, not involved in anything that is going through a really deep mental health challenge that has no support, they have no network to reach out to. Um, and the big thing for outside the locker room is to try and go into sporting communities and go, Hey, you're not just macho, tough men or tough women or unidentified gender or, or, or non-binary. You know, you can come into this space and you can go, hey, I'm going through this challenge. And what we find when we run our sessions is someone goes, oh, yeah, I'm, this is what's going on at home. And then someone across the room's like, oh, I'm going through that as well. And you've got 40 people in there that are going through challenges and usually the challenges are around the same topics. So they've got 40 people they, they could lean on plus potentially another 60 that have had training or gone through courses or, or have really big hearts that would love to support them. Yeah. Because they don't turn around and go, Hey, I'm going through this. Um, they single themselves out and stay being alone. And, and that's where we come in to try and get them to open up. 
Before we keep diving deep into these topics, um, it would be important for us to have a good understanding of the term mental health. So with your own words, <laughs> could, could you please explain what mental health means? Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, so I guess when everyone starts to think about mental health, they really think more around the negative side of things. Um, and the way to explain it is that if you think about mental health as being at ebb and ebbs and flows, so it'll go through positive waves and it'll then go through negative waves and we always try and want to get back to neutral. So if we think it on a scale of one to five, four and five being, you know, really positive, you know, your mental health is going really, really good. This is where we want to stay as much as we possibly can. Um, so that's things like um, being happy in your career, happy with your family, happy with your friends. We want to try and stay there for as long as possible. We know life does get in the way and things unforeseen will really come into it. We can drop down to maybe a three to a one. And when you get down there, it's really important to try and get yourself back to a four or a five. So that may be trying to, you know, go out and socialize again. It might be meditation. It might be journaling. It might be exercise or good food or going for a long hike or getting out in nature. Um, and it's really important for us to start to get away from the narrative of when we talk about mental health, it's only negative because it's not. It's all about the positive stuff that people do as well. And we don't talk about the positive stuff enough. So we don't actually ask someone what was really good out of your day. What did you learn today? What was a really good conversation? What was, you know, something that happened today that was amazing? Now it might be, uh, I've got two dogs. Um, so throwing the ball with my, one of my dogs for five minutes and him just bringing it back. Amazing part of the day. Um, so we really need to start going into the more that positive for mental health. And if people need to start thinking about that more. Ask yourself the question, what do you do for fun? What makes you happy? And when I ask that question in sporting clubs, schools and workplaces right around the country, Everyone goes, oh, I don't know. And it's like, well, you're going to have to come up with at least three each. And then people really struggle with it. They really struggle. But if I go, right, so what are, what are some negative things for your mental health? People can list me 20 within 30 seconds. But if I ask you what you do for fun and what makes you happy, people really struggle. And that's, I think, where we really need to start changing society. Do you think that comes from just like a human nature sort of like thing that we just focus on the negative and we I just vibrate with that energy <laughs> yeah i think we probably didn't in the past like i don't remember growing up and being more around the negative side of things there's a lot more positives and a lot more um you know people celebrated wins and that sort of stuff um but if you look at our if you look at netflix stan disney all the streaming services that you've got if you look at just free to air tv everything's drama it's just drama and people are drawn to drama. So reality TV shows, it's drama. You always hear about these really poor um, uh, experiences that people had on reality TV because producers are trying to get them to say things that you know are going to produce more drama and more negativity because what sells newspapers, what sells advertising spots, it seems to be negativity. Um, but if you have a look at what um, Ned Brockman did yesterday and ran you know, from Perth all the way to Bondi, it was 188, 188Ks and, you know, what an amazing feat that he did to raise 1.5 million. Um, and what I, you know, looking at that was absolutely incredible. And all these people went down, thousands of people went down there to sort of celebrate him. Uh, but you then look at it and you go, well, why wasn't there hundreds of thousands of people down there celebrating that? And everyone gets, gets behind him, but it seems like that 
you know, hopefully that wave holds on for as long as possible. Um, but we always seem to revert back to those negative TV shows, those negative books, those drama filled things. And I think it, with this day and age with social media and with the internet, it's just getting more and more and more. So we just got to revert back to the happy times. Anyway, what was your happy thing today, Sohan? What is my happy thing? Um, today has been, I think, just being able to, what did I say? Working from home was great. I think um, and I just I got to like design a few social media posts and stuff which I thought was cute and that made me a little bit happy just yeah a little bit creative in the middle of the day so that was pretty good um, what will possibly make me a bit happy is if I get to go for a walk at some point <laughs> what was your happy <laughs> thing Todd uh, happy thing today I ran a session at a, uh, a workplace so they were a logistics company um, walked in, everyone was like super busy, but then they stopped for a good hour and 20 minutes and did the session, had a, a few good laughs. We're talking about serious topic in mental health and well-being, and we're talking about signs and symptoms and how you support someone, but they were awesome having a good laugh and, you know, learning people's triggers and, you know, understanding that was really good, but there was a lot of smiles and stuff as well. And they, they took a fair bit out of that in terms of, you know, they were walking in in the morning and not really saying hello to each other. They were sort of just walking in, seeing their desks and getting their work done. And one of my big things is you're not that busy to not walk in and say hi to someone. And especially if you're working with them for eight to 10 hours of the day, you can take 30 seconds to say, hi, how's your morning going? Um, and at least say goodbye or see you later or see you tomorrow when you leave. It's, it's a simple thing to do, um, but it definitely goes a long way to building and maintaining a good relationship with people. Mm, definitely. What about you, Laura? Happy thing for the day? Um, I think um, when I was, I was, I went to work today and the team that I have down the Gold Coast, it's just so good. It's unreal. We, we have a little environment in the office that is like so nice. The culture over there is really nice. And um, the good thing about everyone is that we also get to talk about just random things. So today we were just talking about how we were going to do a random dance class um, to sort of like develop skills to dance. And that really made me happy because I love dancing. So <laughs> just having the opportunity to talk to people from work about that was really good because dancing is a big thing for me. I'm from Colombia and I love dancing. Salsa is in my blood. So having sort of like that, um, I guess, simu similarity with people from work was like, oh, wow, like we can bond over this. So, yeah, I think that that could be it. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, I, I, I want to continue asking you stuff about um, the world mental health and especially about how to change this stigma around this word because, as you said, like we all sort of like just probably misuse it or like have this negative connotation towards it and it, I feel like part of just becoming more familiar with it and more open to have conversations about it is going to help us just connect with each other or one another? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, and it's a good question to ask. And I think where I work in, there's always organizations that are trying to find either a different phrase for mental health, so whether that's mental fitness, whether that's mental well-being, whether that's positive well-being, whether that's just well-being in general. Um, I think we need to stop shying away from it. And it really just comes back to education. Uh, so one of the big things that we see, we go into a junior club or into a school, they're actually really educated on these things now because they do have access to the internet. 
Um, they do have access to things like TikTok and all that sort of stuff. Apparently I've got to get on TikTok, but I don't know how to do it. Um, and my niece doesn't want to teach me because she thinks I'm going to dance. So I just sort of stay away from that one, which is fine. Um, but especially when we go into, especially a junior sporting club, we get the whole from parents, you know, what is this about? What are you going to teach our kids? They get very defensive on it. And then at the end, they're usually the ones asking the most questions. Oh, we were never taught this. We never knew any of this sort of stuff. Um, so actually educating a lot of the parents sort of 18 and above at the moment, um, has been really important, but I think it just still comes down to education. It's just being open and honest about it. And then also just turning that on to the positive side of things going, Hey, what have you done today for you? Um, so that's another phrase that people will come up with. What have you done for you? Or, you know, um, it could be that work life balance conversation. There's a lot of life coaches out there at the moment that are, you know, talking about what are you doing in your life and what goals you're setting. So it's really about trying to flip mental health from being just a negative thing to, you know, what are the positives you're doing it for as well. And that really just, again, as it comes down to, it comes down to education, educating everyone on what's the happy stuff. I like that. I like the reframing of it. And, you know, honestly, even when you just asked that question, I was like, shit, what was, what was happy? It's a tough one. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And people really, really struggle with it. They struggle to find what's my happy thing today. We are, you know, we are all burnt out. We all know that we, you know, we don't talk about COVID as we'll try not to talk about COVID as much, but we are burnt out. Um, but I feel like even before COVID people were really struggling to find, well, what was the thing that you did for happy today? Cause if you come home from work and you go, oh, well, you know, what challenges did you face today? You can list off 10, but what are the things that went really, really well? Now it could just be, I got through my email inbox or I got through a really important meeting and I learned something. Or it could be that, hey, I read a really good book on the train to and from work or a really good podcast. Or if you're into music and as Laura was saying, she loves dancing, you know, it was that I put on my old favorites today and I just was happy with just listening to that music. Um, so you've got to be able to find the small things um, because all our negative things usually end up being small things as well that we let pile up, pile up, pile up. And we've got to find those happy releases. Mm. And speaking of like a really good platform, I guess for most of our listeners that don't really know, uh, would you be able to give us like a little bit of a background of what Outside Locker Room is? Yeah, so we uh, run major mental health education um, programs in sporting clubs, schools and workplaces across Australia. Um, so our main demographic is that sporting community on ages 13 and above. Um, and we educate on mental health, well-being and lifestyle, uh, drugs and alcohol, leadership and culture, cyberbullying, inclusion and respect, uh, gambling and resilience. So eight sessions, we usually do two sessions per year, whether it's in the sporting club, school or workplace. Um, so we can be around for four years. And the big part of that is we also have a welfare offering as well, where um, people download our app and they fill out a questionnaire, which is all confidential and de-identified. Um, but that de-identified data helps us and helps our uh, university that we're working with um, really identify the social challenges or the social changes that is needed throughout Australia, um, as well as mental health literacy and help seeking behavior. So one in eight people go out and seek support, which really is not enough. And that support could be reaching out for support from a friend or from a professional. So still one in eight, it's not a, not a lot of people that are going through challenges. Um, so we try and educate on how do you go and get support? What are the steps that you can take, but also how do you support each other? Um, and provide those education sessions that last around about 60 minutes, but they're all interactive. So what happens in a rural community compared to a metro community is definitely really different. 
what happens in an engineering firm compared to a building firm is going to be a little bit different as well. And then what happens in an energy firm compared to a lawyer's is also going to be different too. But what we find as much as everyone thinks, oh, we're, we're at a different industry or a different location, almost all the responses are the same. Um, everyone has the same challenges. Everyone has the same way of starting conversations. Everyone has the same way of getting support. Um, there might be little differences, but a lot of them are very, very similar. And what are the most common topics that you hear of people that you're struggling with? Um, so probably the big ones are obviously at the moment with what people are struggling with is you know, financial struggles, you know, obviously the floods and all that sort of stuff here in Victoria are going to have massive impacts over the next sort of month to two months when it comes to food and crops and those sorts of things. Um, so financial trouble burnout is one of the really big ones. So work-life balance has definitely gone out the window. Um, so a lot of people are really fighting, like I want to work from home, which is, you know, it's really, really good, I think on maybe two days. Um, but people that are pushing for five days of the week are probably the ones that are working a little bit too much at home, like getting out of bed straight on the computer, um, staying on that until seven o'clock at night. So that work-life balance has definitely gone out the window. Um, and then it's just the ability to have the energy at the moment to go and do the things that you like to do, whether that's dance or play sport or go and socialize. I think everyone's energies are quite low. And the big trouble that we're having at the moment is that our mental health system is really struggling. So there are massive wait times for psychologists and counselors. There are massive wait times for kids to get into headspace and get those supports for free in that aspect. And then when you get to the critical end, you know, the hospital system is really inundated with a lot of trouble at the moment. Um, so the system is struggling and that's where people really need to come together to support each other and try and really prevent before we get to that critical point as well. Do you do any, um, I guess, work with the schools in how to sort of like uh, start teaching children and um, teenagers about these tools that we should develop to sort of like prevent to get into that point? Yeah, so we def we go into schools as well. We've got a really good school program um, tailored to year sevens to year twelves. Um, but as I said before, what we're finding is kids are pretty clued on. Um, they have a lot of these skills already, whether the schools are really picking it up in the curriculum at the moment, or they're learning it from each other, or they're just more mentally aware through what they're finding on the internet or through social medias or through TikTok nowadays. So they are pretty clued on. Um, with a lot of the skills that we're providing them, it's just giving them the confidence to use them. Um, whereas completely different to what I had growing up is I didn't have the skills and so I definitely didn't have the confidence. And we didn't even know what the skills were. Whereas kids nowadays really know that, well, that's a sign of someone going through a difficult time. And I already know how to start a conversation. If I want support, I can go to the teacher or the school counselor. They know all these sort of skills. Um, they know how to set goals. They know what leadership values are. They know how to be respectful, but it's just giving them the confidence to actually utilize those skills in a really meaningful way um, without the outside influences from social media influences and you know poor role models that they can find online. When growing up, your poor role models were probably your parents or your friends or your um, their friends or coaches. Um, but if you had really good parents, you had really good friends and you had really good coaches, your role models were really positive. Um, but nowadays kids are inundated with those same role models, but also the ones that they can find online, uh, but also the ones they find on Netflix and TV shows and reality TV and movies. And yeah, there's a lot of different ones out there now. 
Hmm. Speaking of like Netflix and stuff, in your, I suppose, personal opinion here, um, how much do you think that the decline in mental health is to do with like the big change in lifestyle that sort of happened? Like people are more inclined to, you know, stay up late watching shows or eat, you know, foods, another topic. It's really rapidly deteriorated in the past uh, 50 odd years. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like uh, how much of it is like, do you educate people on that? Or do you think that's the issue more so than the perspective issue? Like people not looking at the positives in life? Or is it just- um, I probably see the, the perspective issue is probably the bigger one. Um, you also got obviously food and exercise is going to be the bigger one as well. Um, but I think if you take it away from just this, so, uh, so the Netflix and the streaming surface and move it towards a mindset of social connection, the social connection, we've completely lost it. Um, so phones are a really, really big thing. Um, people find it a lot more comfortable to now stay at home rather than going out for dinner because, it's really easy to pick a show on Netflix and just watch that at home and order from Uber Eats. So that social net connection to go out and have a meal with other people and have a conversation is really big. And if I use the session from today, my last question I always ask is, well, what's your biggest takeaway from today? And almost every group, there was five groups, they all said, you know, the biggest point is social connection. You know, they don't, you know, converse with their partners and those sorts of things until they get home. And when they do converse with their family, almost everyone's got a screen in front of them while conversing, whether it's an iPad or a TV or a phone, there's never sitting around the table and having dinner together and having a conversation about their day. Um, so things have become a, a lot easier um, and to actually get out there and, and do that social connection and, and go and exercise, people find it a lot more daunting and a lot harder um, to take that first step and go and do it, but it's something they definitely need to do. So I think taking it away from, it's not just streaming surfaces that are bad, it's probably more the fact that we're taking ourselves away from social connection a lot more. Do you find that it's easier for females to open up about their problems or do you find that it's hard to open up regardless of the gender? Uh, I think it's definitely hard to open up regardless. Um, So if we look at suicide rates at the moment, they're seven men a day and two women a day. So it's nine suicides a day. Um, but if you look at the rates of self-harm, women are by and far higher than men. Um, so there are still the challenges that females are facing, that males are facing. And the phrase used in sort of the mental health industry when it comes to self-harm is that men pick more violent self-harm methods that usually will relate in death. Um, whereas women will usually pick a non-more violent or fatal method for self-harm that usually ends up in hospitalization. So the challenge is being faced by all genders at the moment. And then if you take in your non-binary and your, you know, your different genders as well and the, and the challenges that they're facing, um, I definitely find both men and women do struggle to open up, but it's actually starting to become more prevalent for people to start opening up, which is really, really good. Um, and what I guess I'd sort of say to communities is that when you go to someone, Hey, I can, I notice you're going through, you know, these are the signs that, you know, you've changed your behavior or you've changed your look or you're gaining or losing weight. You know, they're signs of someone going through a difficult time and you ask someone, are they okay? What's going on? Um, one of the big things is that they might not rationally know what's going on at the moment. They might be so confused in their own mind that they actually can't formulate the words to actually open up. Um, and you can't rationale with an irrational mind. It's one of the best lines I've ever heard. Um, mm. and that, I don't remember where I got that. 
Um, but you can't rationale with an irrational mind. And when someone goes, I'm fine, they actually might at that time be fine. And if you think, okay, I need to keep checking in with this person, do it. Check in with them every week. And that's both men and women. Like there are, and I think what a lot of people are still forgetting is that if you look at suicide rates in Australia per day, there are still two women passing away by suicide every day. So there's a lot of men's charities. There's a lot of men's health and that's fantastic. It's definitely needed. We can't forget about the women as well and really encouraging everyone to open up. Um, and there's still stigma. There's still shame on, on women for certain things. Um, when they go through pu puberty, when their bodies change, when their emotions change, then they go through potential pregnancy and, and having people to lean on and to turn to can be quite difficult if you don't have that social connection as well. Um, so I think it's definitely both across both genders. They're obviously a really big focus on getting men to open up, but we still, we need to focus on all genders equally and, and get the conversation started. Yeah, I guess um, the reason for me to ask was because I've heard like, for example, in the construction industry, it's a very toxic sort of like masculinity um, type of industry and men are still having the idea of like toughen up sort of thing or just like uh, got to be strong. But in saying that, like I, I also know that there's some women or just people in general just have that um, – that approach you know it's like oh like it doesn't matter what i'm going through at the moment i can't stop i have to keep pushing because life essentially is not going to stop i have to keep working let's say i have to keep doing things but no one actually takes the time to sort of like stop and feel those emotions i think if i could add on to laura's question what why the disparity because i don't know as females like we hang out and we we talk about this a little bit like when we hang out we like to check up on each other how's life going how's your family how's your how are your friends how's your like you know your partner everything like we like to have those those check-ins and that can be weekly monthly whatever um but we don't often hear that happening like with our male friends so, so is that just yeah yeah it's probably it definitely does happen but it happens in a different way so it's not the whole okay let's start opening up and what's actually going on and what's occurring um because I guess for, for my personal experience with my mates, the conversations around how you're going and what's happening, they occur in a different way. So how was your day? It was good. We talk about work, that sort of stuff. Um, but where we definitely see a lot of males, it's more around the coping strategies and then you know not having the skills around what to do if they really notice someone's going through a difficult time. Um, again, a lot of the responses we go, right, well, how do you start the conversation? What environment should that be? And they're like, oh, we'll go get a beer. I'm like, well, they might be already um, self-medicating by using a substance. So what about going for a walk, going to kick the footy, um, you know, going for a drive, going to do something that that other person likes doing? And a really big, um, I, I love this story because it's so stupid. But I actually asked you, know, what, what makes you happy in a, in a group of guys at a footy club? And I get them to write on sticky notes. And if you ever got 60 blokes to write what they like doing on sticky notes, it's a pretty funny exercise because they hate you so much. And then I get them to put them on the wall. And watching 60 blokes walk up to a wall and looking at the sticky notes and going, Jesus, we all like golf, don't we? Like There was like 20 people that liked playing golf and about 15 of them that liked fishing. And I went, right, everyone in here who likes playing golf, stand up. And they all stood up like, you guys ever played golf together? And they're like, no. I'm like, you guys are idiots. You've known each other for five years and you've never decided to go and play golf. 
And so now what does that club do? Well, they all every Sunday, those 20 people go and play golf and the other 15 go and fish. So the way I guess males like to open up and especially in those environments around sporting clubs, because that's where I've been and that's where my experience is, is that just going to play golf with four of your mates or 20 of your mates are going to do an activity that you like, whether that's camping or four wheel driving, that's the conversations might not be, Oh mate, I'm going through this or, you know, this is what I'm feeling at that point in time, but that's an escape. That's a, um, a wellbeing strategy that, that those people can use. And that's not just a male gender. That could be any gender, um, that's out there, but definitely that's the different disparity between, I guess, male and female or men and women is that men will do it in that aspect and knowing that they've got that support, knowing that they've got those mates. And then it's just noticing the signs if someone is going through a difficult challenge, having that really not courage, but just being able to walk up, having that relationship and go, hey, mate, I've noticed this, are you okay? And the hope is they turn around and go, well, actually I'm not, or no, I'm actually going really well. I'm just really tired today. Um, And you can keep checking in and then making sure they're all right all the way through. But I think it happens in different ways. Yeah. All right. Wow. It's so interesting. Another question now that you um talking about, just asking the question, like, how are you doing? Um, what happens if I want to help someone, but I'm also going through something very difficult myself? Oh, great question. I like that one. Uh, so you've got to look after yourself first. Um, so if you think that you've got someone that you want to support, but you're going through a bit of a difficult time at the moment, you need to check in on your own well-being and go, do I have the capacity to take this on? And if the answer is no, guess what? There's another 7 billion people in the world. Um, So you actually can go and get support from somewhere else. You can walk up to Sohan and go, hey, Sohan, I'm going through a difficult time at the moment, but I've noticed Todd's going through something. Um, Do you have the capacity to uh, maybe come with me? And then you can share that capacity. Or Sohan might go, okay, well, I I might go and take this on. We're friends, so I'm going to take this on. I'm going to ask them if they're okay and walk up and go, I've noticed these signs and being really direct. Are you okay? Hey, we're worried about you. If you need to open up, you need to talk, we're here. Do you need support? Um, but you don't want to take it on if you don't have the capacity because then we've got two people without no capacity going down into a bit of a, a deep, dark hole, and then you're both trying to claw your way out of there, and it's probably not going to work. So you've got 7 billion people around you, and most of them are willing to help. You've just then got to reach out, create a support network and help that person through it and then open up yourself and go, hey, I need some support too. Um, And then you've probably got eight or nine people that are all looking on each other. Mm, mm. I like that. When it comes to directness, because it's really difficult to sort of like, you know, just ask someone like, what are you going through or all of that? Like how can you approach it without making them feel attacked or without coming across as intimidating. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it's a good one. So easiest one is to say hi. People really struggle with the fact of saying hi nowadays. Now I've said hi and both of you started smiling. You were just normal face and then I said hi. <laughs> um, but it happens all the time. Hi, how are you? And you build a relationship over time. So our being direct becomes easier after time. So you've got to build that relationship. But if it's someone that you're not quite knowing, so you don't know so well, just saying, hi, how are you doing? And then you can go even further and go, how are you really? Ask that question and it'll take people half a step back and they'll go, actually, I'm actually going really good. My kids are great. My family's good. My job is good. And that's a really good response. Or how are you really might take them a step back and go, actually, I'm really struggling. 
But you could also just talk about generalized things. Who do you barrack for? How's your day going? How's your week? How's your family going? That might start opening up some things. And then starting the conversation with someone that you feel and being direct, use things that you've noticed. We've noticed that you've started turning up late um, to work mm-hmm. or notice that you haven't been showering or we notice that you usually wear makeup and now you don't or we notice that you had a really awesome beard and now you've shaved it are you okay um so utilize the things that you've noticed to change their personality you used to be really loud now you're really quiet um and go is there something going on or is it just a change in your personality and they might turn around and go actually no i'm going through this or no i'm just trying something different because i wasn't happy with how i was previously so noticing that is a really big one. And then in the end, if you think someone's really struggling, are you okay? Or are you suicidal? Or are you thinking about self-harm? Be really direct. There's nothing wrong with it. Because you'd rather someone be pissed off with you than someone not be here tomorrow. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, that was a heavy, heavy answer. <laughs> no, that was, I, it just took me back to the story that you shared um, in the, in the um, presentation and yeah, it's so true. Um, would you like to share it with everyone? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that would be that'd be Fitz. That was uh, so. His mum was the one that said, "Stop being a PT and and go and work for outside the locker room." So, um, basically, Fitzy and I grew up. We played footy against each other. Um, we knew each other, and then we went to Boxall Senior, which is Year Ten to Year Twelve. Um, so you left your high school that you were at to go to this senior school. Um, and because football was a subject and you could play on the MCG, that was the draw card for most of us. And on the first day I was standing there and I sort of knew people, but I didn't knew people, know people. And he come up and he's like, you've got no friends. And I was like, no. And he's like, we're going to be friends. And Fitz was a smart ass. Like he was just the biggest smart ass in the world. And I was like, all right, no worries. And that's sort of how, hi, how are you changed my life? Cause he's like, oh, how you doing? And I was like, yeah, good. He's like, you've got no friends. And so we just became mates. That's, you know, between year 10 and year 12, we were best mates. And, um, you know, I sort of pre-framed this, Fitz is no longer with us. Um, so it gives it a bit of a context to the rest of the things. And um, I actually talk to my mom about this all the time. I'm like, there's so much throughout high school that I don't remember. Like there's holidays that we went on that I sort of have suppressed and still working through. And it's almost been six years this year, I think. Um, but after high school, we went two different directions. Um, he went sort of down a different path in life and I went down another one and around about sort of 23, 24, we came back together and became best mates again. No. That is 110%. That's Fitzy. (laughs) I am not kidding you. I've just dropped out. If you want to keep that in, I've just dropped out again, but every time i talk about this kid and technology is involved like i did a big speech where his mum was there microphone dropped out she heard none of it um i did a video and i was trying to explain fitzy and a dog kept coming in and barking so i was like you know what mate screw it i'm not going to do it anymore um every time technology is around and i'm talking about that kid it's it goes so interesting yeah wow. that's pretty um, that- it's scary it's spooky yeah smart ass he's he's smart ass he's definitely sitting up there laughing at me at the moment um but we went back yeah so he come back life used to hit him and he'd sort of take four steps back one step forward and he started really sort of changing the social circles he's hanging out with he was training he was going to get back into footy and so life would hit him half a step he'd move forward and um you know i remember having running a mental health 
night where we raise money out in our area and he sent me like 15 photos he's like what about this outfit what about that if he's just so excited to come down and be on a sort of different part of life and he's like how do i tie my tie so we're on facetime trying to teach him how to tie a tie and it's like mate this is terrible and he absolutely loved it got to see my mom again you know got to spin stories and have a yarn and um you know we became really really close again and one of the last messages that i had from him was like you know toddy i love you and i was like i love you too um and then i was waiting for him to come into the gym one day and got a message that just said have you heard and said heard what and it was like oh fitzy has gone taking his own mm. life so then from friday um made a decision and by monday morning or monday afternoon he was unfortunately no longer there and um you know that hit me really hard and i said to debbie's mom i was like you know I work in mental health. I should have seen it. I should have, you know, asked him if he was all right or noticed all the signs and that sort of stuff. She's like, mate, I live with a kid and I didn't notice it. Or we noticed it and we tried to help him. And unfortunately he just made a decision and, and, and that was the decision that he made. And, um, you know, for, for me to hear that from Deb was, was really good. Um, still probably have a little bit of blame on myself from now and, you know, sort of the couple of weeks after, losing fits was a bit of an ordeal in terms of, you know, having a funeral and having a wake and, um, doing the celebration side of things. And I don't really remember much of the two weeks. Um, and the way that I grieve as well, actually, I actually did a podcast with my mum and I actually lost it, which again, is probably a fitzy thing. Um, yeah, it's a Spotify quit out. For us to lose this Hopefully we now. don't lose anything. Yeah, yet. no, he'll, he'll do it. He's sitting up there with a the Jack Daniels ready to do this. Um, but I actually asked mom, I was like, mom, I don't remember any of the two weeks. Like, can you fill me in? Um, cause I lived at mom's for a couple of days and then we had the wake and I don't really remember that. And she's like, my way of grieving was always to help everyone else, which I think was, you know, Fitzy would probably love, would have liked that as well. Um, she's like, all you did was just help everyone else and carry you know, at a, his funeral and you could walk up and say goodbye to him. And I was carrying other people up there to say goodbye. And. Um, I didn't really sort of break down from that until about two or three weeks after he passed away. Um, and that's when I went through my own grieving process. Um, but yeah, he's a, I miss, I miss my mate. I miss the fact that he probably could have kept playing footy and, you know, I miss the fact that, you know, how excited he was on that mental health night. He used to come into the gym with a really big smile and, you know, had new mates and catching up with all old mates at the gym and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, two weeks away from going back to playing footy and, you know, being, had a really big plan to actually go back and play. So yeah, it was a tough one. It's still tough now. Um, but having the permission from his, his mum and his sister to still tell his story and the, I guess the hard part for all of us was that he was so infectious, you know, hi, how are you? I stole from him, but he would be the first one with a big smile and a big hug and a hi, how are you? And you could be the biggest stranger in the world and he would just start ripping into you with smart ass lines. But if Fitz didn't like you, he wouldn't talk to you. And I think that's a really big thing that him and I had in common. It's like, I'm not going to talk to you if I don't like you, but if I'm ripping into you and, and you know, we're having a bit of banter and having a bit of fun, it means that we're, we're we should be mates. It means that we're, you know, I like you and as much as it potentially could be cruel, throw it back at me. And if you throw it back, that's, that's a fun one. Um, so Fitz would be the first one for that as well. And he'd be the first one. Yeah. As I said, first thing he did at the night, walk straight up to mum, gave her a big hug. Nat, how you going? Like it was, it was always extravagant and over the top. And I think that's what I miss most about my mate. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's, it's, um, it's a really good story and I really wanted everyone to sort of 
get a little bit if Fitzy allows it. And he doesn't oh, lose. No, he will. I'm sure he will. <laughs> he, hate, he always hated me talking him up. Um, but I think there's a lot. I sort of to say this, like that's, that's part of the story. There's still a lot that I, um, I don't remember. And I think with a lot of people that either lose mates or lose family members, they really struggle to go back and find what the good times were. And I think for me, that's one of the really big challenges that I still face now, six years later, is that I can remember, I almost remember more clearly the negative things other people said about him than I do my all positive stuff. Because I think if I remember all the holidays and the fun times that we had and playing footy at school and um, the messages that we had and all that sort of stuff when we became mates again, not that we weren't mates, but came back into each other's lives. It's almost like it had just opened up a well that I'm probably still not ready for. Um, and I probably will be one day. Uh, but for now, it's there's so much more I could say and so much more positive things I could tell, but I just still can't really remember them. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really sad part about losing a friend is you sort of really start to, I guess, shut up shop a little bit with what your happy memories were. And they'll come back. I know they will. Um, I'm just not quite sure when yet. Unfortunately, like, um, I guess that sounds like how your friend sort of was to me is like a lot of times people um, struggling with mental health come across as, you know, really positive, um, like, you know, making everyone else smile, like having everything together. Then in that sense, how would you even know? You know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess the good thing with Fitz too is he was pretty open with what he was going through. Like he was pretty open to walk in and go, you know, I'm having a really difficult time or I need to go and see someone or I'm ready to go and see someone now. So it was really open with all that sort of stuff. And you're right, the people that are potentially going through difficult times are usually the ones trying to make other people not feel like that. Um, and that's where it really comes in is like check on your check on your happy friends. You know, how are they going? You know, ask, you go, how are you going? And they go, good. Most people will just push it off as like, yeah, okay, they're good. That's fine. Um, but you ask like, how are you really? And that's a really fun question to ask at nine o'clock in the morning. Like it really is. I guess with that too as well, is what I like to say to people is that everyone's going to have people that they're comfortable opening up to around that question and people they're not. So you may ask someone, how are they really? And they go, oh, good. They may not feel comfortable to open up to you or they may not be ready to open up to you specifically, but there may be someone else. Um, so, you know, I've got my people that I'll happily open up to on those side of things. And I've got some people that in my life that I don't know, I just don't, not that I don't want to, I just don't feel that way at the moment with them or, um, there could something has happened or it's just a topic that I don't want to talk to that person about. So, you know, you've got to ask it a few times and, and really, you know, check in on people all the time rather than just doing it once and going, Oh, they didn't tell me, so screw them. Um, you've got to do it every week. And I think, um, we just, when, when asking the question, we also have to think about how we would answer that, right? Like most of the times we are embarrassed to admit what is actually going on or we hold so much shame towards feeling negative emotions and we're also afraid because we don't really know um, how to handle that. Like we don't really know how to handle, as I said, like difficult emotions. It's so difficult. No one teaches you how to be sad. Um, like, for example, I I remember when my dad passed away in 2015, people were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it must be so hard. I, I didn't really know how to feel that sadness. All I could be was strong because that was supporting my family and 
just being there for my mom. And I know I had the opportunity to just like feel the, you know, the grief, but it's like, I'm not even ready to feel this. It feels so uncomfortable to mm. feel sad. I don't even know what is going to happen after this. So it's also like when you ask someone, it's it's also good to remember, okay, maybe it is just hard to admit that they are going through a hard time. And it's good to remember too around different people are going to process emotions differently. Mm. So um, what I really, I, I found this really difficult around the time that Fitz passed away was people like, you don't seem that sad or you're not crying. And it's like, well, hey, I do this in my own time. Yeah. yeah. I, I know my own process. And Unfortunately, lost a mate not long after or a couple of years after losing Fitzy just to a different circumstance. It wasn't suicide or self-harm. Um, and I knew my process. I knew exactly what was going to happen for three weeks. That was just, you know, two to three weeks. I was going to this support other people and um, how I was going to be strong. And then after that, that's how I was going to feel my emotions. Now, not everyone's going to know that. But I think putting pressure on someone to go, you should be crying right now. Or you should be upset or you should be sad. It's like, well, hang on. I might process it differently. I might be, excuse my language, but I might be fucking pissed off. And I'm allowed to be angry at this point in time because angry is emo an emotion. Or I might be really, really happy because I'm going to push the sadness away for now if we're talking about loss and I'm going to remember all the good times that we went through. Um, so you've got to at least... The non-judgmental side of everything comes in. You ask someone, how are they really? You got to be non-judgmental and sit back and go, damn, I don't understand anything that you're going through right now, but that's okay. I am happy to sit here and listen to what you're going through. And whether that's a, an emotion that I don't think I would go through at that point in time, I am happy to sit here and go, yeah, cool. Awesome. Happy with that. Yeah, 100%. And I'm so glad that you said that about listening to people because usually we go to problem-solving mode and we just 100%. go advising people, oh, you probably should do this or that. And it's actually, no, maybe it's also good to know when to give advice and when to just listen to people. Really good question to ask is how do you need to be supported right now? It's a really good oh. question because everyone's going to be different. So for me, if it's, you know, I'm having a, a really, really good day, it could be like, hey, you want to be supported? It's like, hey, let's just put on some music and just make some good food. And that, that's how, you know, we're going to celebrate a good day. But if it's a tough day, it may be, oh, I want to go for a walk. I want to go kick the footy. You know, how do you want to be supported right now? Rather than putting on to someone else, someone might go, hey, I just want you to leave me alone so I can go and paint. Or I want to just go and read by myself or give me an hour to go and journal or meditate find out what that person needs for their support rather than trying to give them something that they potentially don't want or they feel uncomfortable with. Because if you try to make me sit down and meditate, I would run really, really quickly because <laughs> sitting still is not my thing. So really good question is how do you want to be supported? And it's going to change every single time. Um, and maybe I want to be alone or maybe I really want to talk or it may just be, I want to cry or I might be want to yell or I want to box or whatever, but ask them that question really powerful question um you did touch on a little bit about you know people could also potentially be self-medicating um what i'm curious is because grief is such a tough one like it can spiral out of control if if like you know you let yourself go down that well um and it's hard to get out of so how would you teach i guess a big one that i feel like maybe we're missing is mental resilience yeah and resilience is i think it's a I guess I'll put this question onto you both because we actually asked this in our resilience question is uh, our resilience session is what does resilience mean? Is that the question? Yeah. <laughs> the question. What does oh, resilience okay, I was mean? Like... 
I don't know, I guess for me it would be like the ability to bounce back, you know, like that quote that's like fall down six times, get up seven. It's sort of a yeah. bit like that. If Laura? Um, in my own words, I would say that knowing that you have a backup plan, but that's pretty much what you said. And, and I feel like... Well, it's, that's different though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, okay. then get okay. down, knock down five, come up six, and then yours is having a backup plan. It's a really important question to ask because resilience is going to be different for every single person mm-hmm. and every single community that you go into, resilience definitely changes. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, resilience would be how do we bring enough people together to support each other to get through it? That's mm-hmm. how I would view resilience for myself for growing up in sporting communities. So resilience is right, we're faced with a challenge, how do we get a team to be able to get over that challenge? And even Mm. if it's a singular challenge, what supports can we bring in to get over it? Everyone's going to be completely different. So when we get Mm. to mental resilience, one of the big things is to understand what strategies have you got in place to get you through a difficult time. And I think that's really important. So I can't paint to save my life. And I definitely can't sing. But my sister can paint and my niece can sing. Now, I also can't dance, but apparently my family thinks we're the most amazing dancers when we go to weddings. So mm-hmm. dance would be a really big thing for them. Um, but resilience for me through a difficult time could be journaling, um, going to the gym, eating the right food, staying healthy in that aspect, taking the dogs for a walk. Um, mm. So resilience and building mental resilience is what are the things that can get you through a difficult time? And resilience actually probably mm. goes all the way back to the first question is, well, what makes you happy? Mm. Yeah. So it's so find... connected. Yeah. <laughs> so so if you find those things that make you happy and then you come back. So your family, your friends are actually a resilience support and a resilience pillar to get you through things. Like your family makes you happy. Let's use them or your niece, your nephew, your kids, your pets. Pets are great. Get yourself a pet. One of the best things you could ever do. Um, but resilience really comes back to what are the things that's going to help you get through a difficult time uh, or bounce back from a challenge or overcome a hurdle. Um, mm. And again, it goes back to identifying what makes us happy. Yeah. And I guess for everyone, that's like how you said, it's completely different. Like you can't sing, but your niece can. Um, <laughs> but are there like some basic tenets that you say would apply to everyone uh, scientifically on how they could unlock like their happy chemicals or something? Oh, exercise is definitely one. Yep. Nature is a really, really big one. Fresh air is really, really good. Getting off a screen is massive. Um, so that's a really, really big one too. Um, there's definitely been a few studies over the last sort of couple of years that I've seen, which is trying to get off a screen like two and a half to three hours before bed Mm -hmm. and then getting, you know, a good quality sleep at night, even if it's that five or six hours, but staying away from the screen, then getting that good sleep is really big. Mm -hmm. And then something we touched on before and Jackie will love me saying this. So shout out to Jackie on this, but nutrition, huge the food that you put into your body. Um, so you've got to, they're the really simple ones. And the, you know, the good thing about all that, apart from the nutrition one, is they're free. Yes. They are free. You can go for a walk, you can walk outside, you can go down to the beach, you can put your toes in the sand or the water or the grass and ground yourself back into nature in that way. You can converse with a stranger if you really wanted to. And that's another way of releasing your positive dopamine and, and getting that back mm-hmm. up. And guess what? Getting off a screen is also free because I don't think I've found a screen in nature yet, but if I find one, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know they're, they're the easiest ones you can go for. Mm. Wow. 
Thank you so much for that. Wait, I'm still you laughing at the screen in nature joke, sorry. <laughs> That was a good one. Yeah, it was good. I suppose what we usually like to do, it's been pretty pretty heavy, I'd say out of all like just yeah. the, of the topic. Pretty pretty heavy. So one thing we like to do is we like to like ask some high level, quick, sort of fun questions just to get to know you a little Go bit. For and it. yeah. Okay, so one thing would be what's your favorite food? Uh red licorice. <laughs> if you weren't in this sports industry, what would have you done? Uh in the mental health industry or the sport industry? The sports industry. Oh, damn. Well, AFL coach would be with the other one that I would do. But I was in the sports yeah, industry. Yeah, we, we, we noticed. Oh, <laughs> Did you love you? Yeah, all the jerseys in the back. Oh, what other industry would I be in? Um, oh, if, if, I could pro if I was smart enough back in high school, it's probably a fighter pilot. Are you reading any books at the moment? I've got five on the go at the moment. Um, so I'm a massive reader. Um, oh, wow. Any tips on how to create that habit of reading? Yeah, so you start with 10 pages in the morning and 10 pages at night. Probably the easiest way to go. 10 pages isn't too bad. Um, and then just try and go for so many different genres. So if you write down what's interesting to you, then that's going to find you books that you want to do. So I'm not a massive fiction person. I can't really pick up fiction. No, okay. so I got one for you. It's going to be, um, so what are you going to do to make you happy for the rest of the week? So you've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to go. We're doing this on a Tuesday night. So we're going to finish off with the big positive one. What are you going to do? What's what's going to be the thing that you're going to work life balance? What's going to make you happy? Um, Alistair. Okay. <laughs> I think, um, so I really like walking and that's like my daily non-negotiable. So it's just, it brings so many positive things into my day. So I think I'm going to go for a walk uh, every day until the week finishes. <laughs> It makes me really happy and I'm not going to make it um, like a second priority. It's going to be on my top priority. Nice. Lovely. I have two things. I think uh, the first is that for the rest of the week, because I didn't have too much on, I have booked myself for Pilates classes and Pilates gives me joy, mm -hmm. like genuine joy. <laughs> and also I'm going to watch a movie with my sister that we've been looking forward to for like a year, two years actually, because COVID didn't stop its release. So Love it. Right, what about you, Todd? What are you doing yeah. for the rest of the week that's going to make you happy? I, I'm going to do something I haven't done for a long time. I'm going to make a massive playlist on Spotify. With like all the old school music that I haven't listened to for a really, really long time, like Linkin Park, um, Blink-182, Dance Gavin Dance, I go right them. back. Yeah. Now, can you please provide a link to that playlist <laughs> so we share it on this episode? <laughs> because it would be unfair <laughs> for everyone, for everyone else to decide on all that happiness. Yeah, because they won't know. <laughs> no. Well, it's probably just going to jump from everywhere. Like it's probably going to have like all those in there that's going to have some like Biggie and Tupac, and then we're going to have yeah. Eminem in there, Dr. Dre. Yeah, well, then we're going to come back to like screamo music, and then we'll probably have like Bob Dylan in there too. So it's going to be a pretty big playlist. It's just going to be all the genres. Okay, amazing. Well, looking forward to listen to it. Listening to it. <laughs> well, I better get onto it tomorrow morning now. Yeah? I'll, I'll have to do yeah, it. Yeah, like accountability. Week. That's how it works. <laughs> you have to send us a link. <laughs> uh, I'll add it to the list of things I need to do. <laughs> oh, is accountability like sorry just not it doesn't have to be a part of it but is accountability one of the things like if you reach out to a mate and then they say they're going to get help or whatever like should you be checking in and seeing if they did it not did it like yeah and it, i think it goes back to that um asking them like how many times do you want me to check in with you are you happy for me to check in with you every week is a, is a really good one or every day um but also staying accountable and um this is probably you're probably going to keep this in anyway 
one of the hard parts for us is that someone goes, oh, I've checked in with someone and I've encouraged them and we, you know, set a, in, uh, an appointment for them to go to see someone and they didn't go. And you can only do that so long until you have to go, well, we've tried everything that we can. They haven't done it. Um, what do we do now? And the hardest conversation, the hardest phone calls we have it outside the locker room is to actually tell people at sporting clubs to go, well, you've tried. Now you've got to take a step back. It's on them. And what usually happens is that that person's going through a difficult time. They're grabbing onto you for support. You take a step back and then they go, oh, shit, my supports are gone. And then they go, oh, maybe I'll go get help. Um, so taking that step back is one of the really hardest things to do. And it can go, it's 50-50 on either way it's going to go. Most of the time they go, well, I need my support, so I'm going to reach out again. Um, sometimes they can go, screw it, and it gets worse. And But unfortunately, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Um, so you really got to get to that point and go, damn, what do we do? That is, I think it's very good to empower people with that because otherwise, yeah, like there's a lot of guilt associated with. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really hard with mental health. It's really hard, but you know, people find it a little bit easier when it comes to someone who's going through a substance addiction um, or a substance challenge. They go, okay, well, we've tried everything. We tried to get you into rehab. It's not working. We're going to take a step back. And what you're doing is you're not getting yourself to a point where you blow up and you don't want to support that person anymore. You're just taking a step back, taking a breather, recharging, and then potentially when that person is ready, you're able to provide the support again. Because what people do is they hold on, hold on, hold on. If you squeeze a squeeze something too tight, it's going to blow up. Mm. Um, and usually the person that's going to blow up is the person who's supporting rather than the person who needs support. So you're taking that step back and going, all right, I'm going to recharge my batteries and support this person for as long as they need it is a really smart way of doing it rather than squeezing them until it blows up and then having a really damaged relationship that can't be fixed. I guess just for clarification, when we say step back, like for example, we have been checking in or messaging and like calling and when we we take a step back, does it mean like stop messaging them or what does it look like just for clarity? Yeah, it, it can. It, it really depends on how you're supporting that person. So if you're checking in and they're going, I don't need this anymore, stop, and you're still doing it, and you know um, you probably need to listen to their wishes and step back. Or if you're checking in with someone and they're not replying to you, or if you're setting up um, appointments for people to go and see professionals and they're going, I'm not going now, oh, I'm not going to go with you, or it's not happening, and they're starting to move away from that. If you're feeling like you're getting to a bit of a dead end in your own well-being you just take a step back okay well and you'd be really open and honest with them and you go look i'm not going to check in with you again for another couple of weeks um i'm not going to set you any more appointments um if you need me you can call um or if you also need to cut that barrier go look try not to call me for the next two weeks i'm going to go recharge my batteries and be really open with it don't just cut communication and then it's gone be really open with that person and go, I need to look after myself now. And what that's going to look like is doing this. Um, And if you've ever seen a a movie where someone's going through a really big challenge, when that actually happens, they really, their mind goes, whoa, I'm going to lose that support. I'm going to lose that base. And they start going, you can't just not talk to me. You can't not just call me. You can't just step away. And it's like, I'm just being really open and honest here. This is what I'm doing for myself. And if you want the support, I'm here for you. If you want to go and get the professional help, I'm here. But you need to help me along the way with that as well. Um, so you can't just cut communication and, and that's it. You have to be really open, really honest, really transparent. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to do it. 
this is how long I'm going to do it for. Um, and then I'm going to come back in and check with you again. Hmm. All right. Yeah, that was really good to have that clarification, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, because yeah, I don't want to ghost no one. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. No. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I want to just be like, okay, not talk to you. See ya. Yeah. Well, ghost, it's, you think about it, if you've ever been ghost before, it hurts. It's hard. Oh, it's, so it's hard. Nice. That's why I was yeah. like, what does it mean to step back? Yeah. So And, and stepping back, it's around being really, and this is what a lot of people we've just spoken about, is that people aren't honest. Be really open and honest and go, hey, this is nothing to do with you. If this is about me and my well-being, you know, I've tried to support you. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked or, you know, we've really tried it. I need to recharge my batteries um, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to check in for a week or two. I'm not going to call. You can call me or I'm not going to answer your calls. Whatever the parameters that you set, you take that step back and you go, I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to watch that movie. I'm going to listen to that music. Um, I'm not, it's not that I'm not caring about you anymore. It's me recharging my batteries and you need to care about me enough to let me do that. Yeah. Um, and that really hits home for a lot of people going, Oh wow, I do care about this person and look mm. at the emotional damage I'm providing onto them. Um, mm. Okay. Maybe this is the wake up call that they needed. Mm. Mm. I really care that you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Fantastic yeah. Oh, Sorry, I cut out a few times. No, no, not at all. Thank you so much. And thanks for the questions as well.